I'm Travis Bader, and this is the Silver Core Podcast. Join me as I discuss matters related to hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits with the people and businesses that comprise the community. If you're new to Silver Core, be sure to check out our website, www.silvercore.ca, where you can learn more about courses, services, and products that we offer, as well as how you can join the Silver Core Club, which includes $10 million in North America-wide liability insurance ensure you are properly covered during your outdoor adventures. Before I get rolling, I want to let everyone in on an exciting new website that Silvercore is involved with called AnchoredOutdoors.com. If you like hunting, fishing, foraging, cooking, homesteading, etc., you will love AnchoredOutdoors.com. I highly encourage you to check it out. You won't regret it. This is a special episode where I sit down with Jens Cuthbert and Dennis Sentner, two extremely passionate ambassadors for hunting and fishing, and we discuss tips and tricks, ethics and local knowledge, and in particular, how to be successful when waterfowl hunting. These two are pros at what they do, and you'll have the opportunity to literally experience what it's like to be a local sitting at the counter of Stillwater Sports, a small town sporting goods store situated in Ladner, BC. Sitting down with Dennis Zentner and Jens Cuthbert. Dennis is a former commercial fisherman. He's a current president of the Vancouver Rod and Gun Club. He's a past president of Region 2, BCWF. He's an avid hunter and angler, who I met as we both sit on the hunting advisory committee for the city. And having shot beside him in Fort St. John, I can attest, he's a heck of a good shot in his own right. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you. Welcome, Dennis. I've also got Jens Cuthbert. Now, Jens has worked as a hunting guide in the States in the past. I know Jens as a person who lives to hunt. If you haven't seen his Instagram feed, make sure to check that out. It's 604 Backwoods. He's got over 17,000 followers on there. He's got some great content. He's sponsored and endorsed by Drake Waterfell and Dive Bomb Industries and currently works a couple doors down for the Silvercore head office, working at the local gun store in Ladner, Stillwater Sports. Welcome, Jens. Thanks, Trav. Thanks for having me here, bud. So I figured we'll kind of get things rolling here and get a little little bit of background on you two. Why don't we start with you, Dennis? Sure. Commercial fishing. You did that for a while. Yeah, I started when I was in high school and I got the opportunity to work on a seine boat for one of the local families. Worked with that for a few years and then got into the gill netting side of it and I got to do some gill netting. So I got to work up and down the coast and I thought it was a, a really good opportunity to see what the coast of British Columbia had. We went all the way from, say, Bella uh, Bella, all the way back down to the, the border here. And uh, so I got to see some pretty neat spots of British Columbia. Very cool. How long did you do that for? About uh, six years total. So you've you've got some chops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> How good were you on the boat when the, the seas were rough? You know, in all those years, uh, I only got ever got a little bit green in the gills at the Sandheads. Really? Yeah. Out of all the places to be on the coast, I think it was probably the roughest spot I was. It's the only time spot I ever felt a little bit green in the gills. Yeah. You get pretty gnarly there. Yeah. 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 The Sandheads was the reason I had to get a larger motor on my boat. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> We've been out there in tin boats before. Nine, yeah. n- nine nines and 12 footers. I did it this year alone. Uncle I had my little 15 footer and my, and my 40 horse out there just because oh, my it. big boat was in use at the time. So yeah, Uncle Jack's got you beat. He's always out there around the green can there and his nine, nine and 12 footer. Yeah. Don't know how he does it. <laughs> Die hards. Die hards. Yeah. Hardcore. And Jen's 
commercial guiding. Can you tell me a bit about that? Ah, it's, well, just like everything else, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I had a couple buddies that had a guide service there when I was down in the States for college baseball. And in the summer months or the spring months, I used to go and help him out in his guide service. And that's what kind of really put me on to chasing birds. I mean, I always did it since I was a kid, but really seeing how much the sport demands and how much time, how much effort it takes to get up every day and, and you know, you're getting paid to do that instead of just going out there leisurely, you got a little bit more extra to put on to it. So you say that's something you've done all your life, just being out there chasing birds. You know what? People think I'm crazy, but you know, I'll be sitting on the beach in Hawaii and they'll be like, what are you thinking about? And it's all I'm really thinking about is the birds, really? birds and what they're doing and how they're doing it and where they are. And Oh, everybody else is doing too. So. I don't think that's that crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one one fowler to the next, right? Yeah. That's how you learn. That's how you learn what they do. And yeah. it's Pay, pay it, attention. Lots of people got addictions. Mine's, mine's hunting or mine's just being out there. Yeah. Especially with company, good company or my dog or anything like that. With you, Trav, anybody, right? So, <laughs> so Cuthbert. Yeah. There's a BBC article and they're talking about this Cuthbert and he instituted the first local laws for bird protection. I did not, I didn't know that. So the Eider duck, I guess there yeah. is a, uh, an area off the UK and this guy by the name of St. Cuthbert goes over there and he sees people are eating the Eider ducks and eating their eggs. And so he implemented the first bird laws in the world. And that was about eight, six or eight seventy five AD. And they've gone and named the duck after him. They call it the Cuddy Duck or the St. Cuthbert Duck. Cool. So anyways, I thought it was interesting and that you, birding is so in your blood. and Must it, be related. It, it's got to be. Neat so. little side note. I mean, that's good that he's prote protecting the birds. We like to harvest the birds, but at yeah, the yeah. same time, we like to do our part in conservation. When, yep. Whether it's donating to the local clubs or helping the farmers or down at the DU sanctuary, anything, right? Or the rifle sanctuary. Do yeah. your best and volunteer and more about than just killing the bird and eating it and stuff like that. It's uh, about having a secure future for the up and comer guys that are going to get into the sport too. Well, well, let's talk about the up and comers because I look at you guys as sort of the old boys, the old school club, the, the old guard in Ladner. Now Ladner has a very prolific hunting and fishing community. And a lot of people grew up around hunting and fishing. They grew up on the ranges. They know the rules. They know the etiquette. They know how to get into it. But there's a lot of people who are looking to get into the sport that don't know this etiquette. They don't know what they're doing out there. And I have to imagine working in a gun store, there's going to be some sort of a weird dichotomy between you want to see more hunters out there. You want to see people getting into the sport just not, not in your hunting spot. I, I don't want to see people coming into my hunting spot, perhaps if they're not doing things properly, if they're not showing proper etiquette, if they're, uh, obviously being unsafe, but a lot of new guys out there, they just don't know it. That's right. Yeah. I, th I think we've all seen it. I think, I think that goes to say for a lot of things in life. I mean, you come to, come to the ice rink and, and you never played hockey before and don't know uh, that you got to shower with the boys after or something like that. You know sure. what I mean? Like it's, it's something to do with getting to know, stepping in the ring, getting to know the ropes and stuff like that. And it, it, it can be intimidating, but I mean, if you got 
a decent friend group and and guys around you and stuff like that and good general public awareness and stuff then then uh you start to pick it up right better so i see people who have decent friend groups but none of their friends are into hunting or into fishing i remember when i moved to ladner of course, every odd year we've got the pinks that'll run up the Fraser and I was super excited to go out and just be able to fish off the shore here real close. This is before I had a boat and I watched a fellow and he's casting out and then you see him real, real, real yank, real, real, real yank. And, and I look over at him, I said, what are you doing? So, well, this is how you're supposed to fish for him. Somebody else showed me how to do this when I came here and he was being pretty successful. I said, well you know, you're not supposed to foul hook them. Like that's against the law. Yeah. It's like, like, what do you mean? He says, well, what you're doing, they call that snagging. He had no idea. That's the Fraser river twitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> what so they call the Fraser river twitch or yeah. Everyone yeah. calls it that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I think, I think what that boils down to is they maybe didn't have a, a mentor or a uncle or a granddad or a father that, that, that took them out and showed them the, the the proper way right they just went down to the riverbank like you did Trav, and then just kind of just watched what that what, what some of the other fellows were doing and well that doesn't look that hard kind of followed suit uh, unbeknownst to him that he, he's not doing it legal right you know he's he's trying to foul hook the, with that style of fishing yeah and unfortunately uh you know some people get caught and fined because they're doing it wrong and they're just like, well, I just learned from the guy down on the beach there. So luckily for myself and Jens, we grew up with, with mentors that taught us the right way. So, you know, and I think it's part of our job is, as hunters and fishers to see, if you see something wrong, go, hey, man, like, I think you're doing it a little bit backwards. Let me help you out. Some guys will take you up on the offer and some will tell you to beat it, right? Right. So oh, hopefully... You know, some of the people I've come across over the years um, doing things backwards took it to heart what we had to say and started to do it the, the correct way, the more legal way. I think time, times have kind of generally changed over the last couple of years, evidently. Like this world is going so fast that, you know, back in maybe the 80s and early 90s and stuff like that, you're, you're calling us the cavaliers of 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 this time of hunting and stuff like that. Dennis was there way before me. He was there when dinosaurs roamed the earth and stuff oh, like that. So, How do you think so I, I got a little bit of, of everybody by growing up, but I think people's time is, is so important to them that a lot of the time that they don't take the time to show other people how to do it, or they don't, they don't have the time to do it, whether it's uh, someone's dad or grandpa or a big brother or something like that. It's just these days and age, the world's moving so fast that, you got to try and keep up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, let's face it, hunting and fishing is not looked at the same these days and age as it was back in the eighties or the nineties, how important it was to the lifestyle of the people now. Right. Right. So, I mean, back in the eighties and nineties, you didn't have social media. You didn't have, you didn't, you didn't have cell phones back then. You had to go run down three blocks to knock on your neighbor's door to say, Hey, Tommy, you want to go down there and fish down at the river or something like that. Right. So I think anyone who wants to join anything like fishing, hiking, outdoor, anything like that too, you obviously get into it by having someone there with you and hopefully they guide you down the right way. It's whether or not they've been taught the right way. So like Dennis says, we're just lucky that we grew up with different family friends and and dads and brothers that 
all kind of grew up in the same era as us too, right? So, Well, with the social media, I see people even just locally here posting up on Facebook saying, hey, I want to, I want to get into hunting. Hmm. Somebody want to take me out and show me some spots? And would you guys say that's a good way to approach it or? I don't, I well, think, I think, it, yeah, I think it's putting your neck out there, but I mean, these days in age, you kind of got to do that, but, uh, you got to think logically behind it. No guy's going to really give up his honey hole or, uh, right. no guy's really going to show you the proper way. A lot of the things you can't be spoon fed. You got to go out in there and grind it yourself and kind of figure out a way and then surround yourself with good people too. So where would you say a good first step for somebody? And let's just look in the lower mainland and, and talking about bird hunting. What would be a good first step if somebody really wanted to, they've, they've gone through their training, they've done their hunter education, they've got themselves licensed, they got their FWID. Should they uh, join? Talk, a, I would say talk to one of the local gun clubs, yeah. whether, you know, whether it's Pitt Meadows or Delta Ladner or even Vancouver club. I mean, we're more of a trap club, but there's lots of hunters there. Ridgedale, Abbotsford, all the clubs all all through the valley or, you know, even in the north, there's waterfowlers all through the province. But a good first step would be to go to the club, uh, you know, join, ask some questions. Maybe one of those guys will mentor you. I don't have a problem taking a guy under my wing and showing them, showing them the ropes on how to fish and hunt and whatnot. But like Jen says, you're not really going to take them to your, your top secret spot because we've been stung before. You take a guy there and then, Oh, hey, this is kind of my spot. Keep it under your hat. Keep it under wraps. And you go back, and you know, a month later, or even the next season, and here's this fella. Here's this fella in the exact same <laughs> spot you took him with his buddy or yeah. two buddies, and all of a sudden, well, that spot's ruined. And unfortunately, with the way times are now with social media, it's ruined a lot of a lot of good spots. Yeah, yeah. You know, guy takes a photo and they recognize the background. Oh, I know where that is. Or they're on there and they go, hey, I caught this big fish at, you know, such and such a lake. And all of a sudden you go back there and there's, it used to be you and maybe two or three other fishermen there. And all of a sudden you go there and there's 15 there now, right? And the guys don't even go out and look for the birds. They just look for the background and the social posts. That's all it is. It's called internet scouting now, Dennis. That's for they don't, sure. They don't go in their boat and go out and look for birds. Or they don't go out in the road and put 200 clicks on there to the valley and back and figure it out. Now guys just look for backgrounds and screenshots and stuff like that. Oh, and so you look at, look at some of Jens's photos of his birds and he's a, a successful hunter. Yeah. And most of that is scouting. So step number one would be to join a club. Step number two is once you think, okay, I'm going to be a waterfowler. One of the best things you can do is put miles in the truck, go scouting, find the birds and start banging on doors. The worst the farmer can say is, no, I'm sorry, I've already given permission or there's no hunting on my property. Yeah. Right. You know, if there's if there's a spot where, you know, he's got a big chunk of property and he might have already given permission to maybe two or three other fellas, well, there's a couple guys that hunt here, so as long as you can all get along, it won't be a problem. So, I mean, that's that's the thing. People, for some reason nowadays, are scared to go and bang on a farmer's door and ask, ask for permission. Well, yeah, no, no one likes rejections. I mean, I mean, going up to Cindy at the high school dance and asking her to dance and she snubs you for no, I mean, that's a pretty tough one to get over. It's still in my grade 11 year, right? But, <laughs> but, but I can, I can, I can tell you, yeah, I can tell you. I mean, I, I maybe go one for 10 on farmer's door some, some years and sometimes you go 10 for 10 on knocks, but I mean, you can, hunting is either you're in or you're, you're kind of in or you're not in, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. I mean, if you really want it that bad, you can make it happen that bad. I mean, you can, 
you can go as far as following guys out of the boat launch from the morning. You can go as far as picking out the most ugly guy at the boat launch and asking them where the ducks are and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when I was young, we'd haul sacks of potatoes from the barn all the way out to the the roadside just for the farmer, just just for a chance at permission. And mm-hmm. half the time he'd invite you in for a cup of tea and say no. Right. And then you just sit there and you, Been there. you go home and cry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Been there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what do you do? Um, I mean, the best advice that I could say is put boots to the ground, go out and scout, just just in bird hunting in particular and stuff like that. But don't be afraid of rejection. Don't be too too upfront, too upcoming, you know, be respectful. Don't be too too pushy or anything like that. It'll come when it comes and, and just know when uh, the right timing is to do it. I mean, you're going to go knock on a farmer's door at 6 o'clock at night and he's having dinner with his wife. He ain't going to give you permission, right? Not going to be happy. Right? Or you pull him off a tractor when he's seeding a field, he ain't going to be too happy, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, pick your spots, show up with a bottle. I don't know. That usually helps. You know, I, I, I found that one works well. I, yeah, I've, that works well. And I mean, I've I've given away bottles even with no permission and come back the next year and they give you permission because yep. they remember who you are, right? Half the guys don't do that. The other thing I find, if you get permission or if you don't, it's good to go back and upkeep that relationship. Mm-hmm. But if you get permission, there's nothing stopping you from bringing another bottle again afterwards or no. at the end of the year and saying, hey, thanks very much for ensuring that you clean everything up that you bring onto that field to reporting any anomalies that you might see out there to the, to the landowner. I mean, there's a responsibility, I think on the hunter that's going to be out there to, if they get that permission to maintain that relationship. Well, that's a bond that you start with the, with the landowner when you get permission there. Like you say, Travis, you know, if you find something on the property that's not right, you know, there's a, a tree across a fence or a fence is down or, you know, a ditch is sloughed in or beavers made a dam or whatever. If you go and mention that to the farmer and then they'd be like, oh, okay, this guy kind of understands. Right. So you, you, you build a relationship with that farmer and then over the years, it becomes more than that. Now, now all of a sudden you're, you're, there's friendships involved and all sorts of things. And uh, we've done it in the past where you, you bring them a piece of smoked salmon in a bottle, like you were saying, and or even, even offer them some of your, your harvest, right? Like, yep. uh, well, old Dunk Montgomery there, I mean, he always kind of enjoyed it if we're like, hey, would you like a snow goose or, a, you know, a brant or whatever. Pheasant, whatever. Yeah, yeah you know, so he always, and, and quite often he would take you up on that offer. And I go, how many do you want? Well, two would be fine. So, you know, we'd either dress them up real quick for him or he'd dress them himself. It's okay, just leave them in the feathers, I'll deal with it. But quite often we'd run back to the tailgate and dress the bird for him and hand him and his wife, you know, two big fat mallards or a couple snow geese or something and, you know, he was quite happy with that. And, you know, in that example, he's one of the harder farmers to get permission from. Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Very few guys. I mean, and, wow. and in my industry now, I'm, I'm in construction. And when, when, uh, Duncan Montgomery was alive, I ditched all his ditches. Oh yeah. For him. Right. And, you know, even, even, even doing that, he was a tough guy to please. <laughs> so that, yeah, I, that gave me some access by helping him out. He was my potato out. story. Yeah. I knew, oh, I knew exactly where that story was. And he says no. <laughs> right? And and even to this day, his son runs that same farm, and it's not easy to get permission there. There's a handful of guys. So you were saying, where does a guy go to kind of get started? Duncan's farm in past years has been part of what they call Associated Wildlife Preserves. Right. And it's, a, it's an organization or a gun club that goes and 
secures farmland. You pay a, a, a handsome amount to become a member of this organization, and but there's there's private lands for you to hunt on. That's a good way to get started, though. It, it costs a little bit of money, but you know what? If you start that, if you if you pay what I think it's what eight hundred bucks or whatever a thousand bucks. I'm not a part of the associated. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't do the wildlife. I'm part of Western Island, uh, but associated is a. There's other different hunting clubs. You just gotta dig a little bit to find out. But uh, eight hundred bucks. I mean, for waterfowling, yeah, it seems a lot to swallow at the start and stuff like that. But you can go shoot pheasants, snow geese, ducks, all with landowner permission and stuff like that. And you have endless amounts from. From Ladner, Ladner to all the way out to Chilliwack. The, yeah, out to the valley, right? So, and that's, I don't know how many acres they got. And they, they have their own club. And there's lots of other clubs that have all different acres that you can join too. It's, I mean, that's one good way to get it started. Is. And it's just like any other hobby. Water Waterfowling is, is a hobby and everything costs money these days. I mean, costs money to put fuel in your truck, costs money to go buy a new pair of skates, ice hockey. Uh, everything, everything costs money these days. So, I mean... You're gonna have to buck up to to pay, right? To to play, pay to play. Yep, that's right. But at the same time, too, there's nothing wrong with knocking on on public land doors and and uh, I shouldn't say public private doors and and doing your due diligence and not being afraid of uh, of getting rejected. We've knocked doors in Saskatchewan and Alberta and stuff like that. If you show up with a piece of fish on any Saskatchewan or Alberta door, they'll give you permission, mark my words. Uh, <laughs> they're the friendliest people out that way in the prairies and stuff like that. Every door that we knocked on there, uh, if it wasn't already planned to be hunted, they would have let us They'd let us in. But uh, every time when we walked, knocked, knocked doors in Saskatchewan, they let us in. They gave us a place to stay. Uh, some of the nicest people around. Here in, in BC, it's a little bit more tight-knit. There's not as many spots to waterfowl. There's not as much public ground. It's not vast and wide open. We're dealing with the city kind of encroaching on us, right? We're dealing with new structure and and new types of people and, and people that aren't used to being engaged with hunters, I guess, hunters right. or fishermen, right? right. So, I, I guess another tip would be just really knowing the synopsis. Another yeah. easy, easy thing that you can do at home. I've seen people who get into it and they have no idea what areas are open, what aren't. Uh, with Lower Mainland, of course, we've got the uh, Fraser Valley map. Yeah. The map. That, that uh, That's a good resource. Comment on the map. Yeah. Being that you sit on the same board as I do or yeah. the committee as I do, the map is a guideline. Mm-hmm. And just because it's red does not mean it's closed. Right. Right? So take an example of Surrey and Langley as red. Red is not necessarily close. As far as the Waterfowl Act goes and the and the Right to Farm Act is, you have the right to protect your crops. Right. So and just because it's red doesn't mean it's closed. You can go there and you can obtain written permission from some of those farmers and have access to that land also. Talk to some of the conservation officers they know. Mm-hmm. The, the map is a by it's 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 a bylaw map. So the regional biologist goes to the to the city council and says, any changes this year, what's closed, what's open, what are the rules and regulations as, as far as the bylaw stance goes? And then they produce the map. You've been there when, when mm-hmm. Jack brings the prototype of the map or the, the yeah. draft, and we go over the changes. It's a good guideline for new hunters because 
They don't know where to go. Well, it's their only guideline, basically. Yeah. Uh, apart from asking somebody where's legal, what's not legal. I mean, it's, correct. So, so it's a, they open the map. They open the map and say, "Oh, look, I can hunt here in Boundary Bay, and I can do this." And I, okay, there's some open areas for me to go. People come on. They'll phone. They'll phone, or you'll get them on social media. Where Where can a guy go get started? If you don't If you don't feel comfortable knocking on doors, you're going to go to West Island or Brunswick Point, or you're going to buy a boat and go into the marsh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a tough gig to go and learn on your own without some sort of a mentor. Yeah, it really is. Right? There's lots. There's lots to learn on how to do it, but. You know, lots of fellas, they'll go and they'll go out to Boundary Bay and they'll walk over the dike and go out in the foreshore and, you know, they give it their best. Yeah, but they'll learn. They'll learn from that they, single experience it's right called, there too. Yeah, and that's called the knocks of the knocks of life, you know. Hey, I went out there, I, I got a little bit windburnt and, and rained on and I only got one duck. Yeah. I had lots of fun doing it. Maybe next time it'll be better. That's duck hunting. That is duck hunting. Yeah. Right? And then, you know, part of the problem is people don't understand the capabilities of their firearm. Uh, right. So here we go there. They're 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 shooting at things that are a little bit too high or a lot too high. Mm-hmm. They don't have they don't know the effective range of their shotgun. So you know, in in some cases, they they need to go one learn how to use their shotgun properly. So you go to a an accredited range and and learn, and then you go out in the field and say, okay, well that bird's a little too far, or you know, you need to know what what the load you're shooting is capable of, what you're capable of, and what the firearm's capable of. So there's lots of folks out there shooting stuff 80, 90, 100 yards. And, I mean, if they do hit them, the bird probably trickles off somewhere, lands, you know, half a mile away, and it doesn't get retrieved. Right. No dog, nothing. No dog. And it's hawk food or coyote food or gone to waste because you're not shooting ethically. Mm-hmm. It's no different than, you know, shooting at a deer and making a poor shot on a deer. Basically, what it boils down is, learning your firearm and being an ethical hunter. If you're shooting at stuff that's too far away, it, you're going to wound more and retrieve less. If you bring up, let those birds come in, say within 60 yards, 40, 40 yards is kind of the optimum shot or closer. But, you know, say your max range is 50, 60 yards. If, you, if you're shooting at anything inside that, your success rate's going to go up a lot higher. So you go out with a box of shells and, you know, hopefully you're going to come home with your limited ducks. I hear some people come and, and you know, they, they go with a flat of shells and they're happy to come in with five ducks. <laughs> good, on, good on them. They're so, out there enjoying the outdoors. But good for Stillwater. But let's face it, it's not an ethical thing. The other thing it does is just you're going to have people seeing you out there do that. Like you mentioned the Brunswick Point. People can walk all around the outside there. They see you shooting at birds that are too far away, getting wounded, and where's that end up? Next thing you know, you're going to be reading about it in the newspaper. These poor ethics are going to be reported upon, and that one poor hunter can ruin it. Who, who's demonstrating poor ethics, all hunters will all be painted hunters. with the exact same brush. Yeah. The, the, other, the other thing that those guys don't realize when they're shooting at birds in or out of range or anything like that is... When you shoot at birds out of range, at my out of range is 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 yards. You're only educating them. They're only, right. they're not, they're not going to come in the next day. You know what I mean? Most birds are, are, are on a flight path. They're going to do that similar flight path every day until they feel uncomfortable to not do that flight path. So if you get those, let's say snow geese, snow mm-hmm. geese coming over at 60 yards, there's a lot of snow geese coming over at 60 yards and you figure that you can hit them. 
and you're not hitting them at 60 yards, you're only educating those things to fly back at the next day at 70 or 80 yards, right? right. Now you're just tickling them. You're just massaging the breast. You're not, you're not, you're not even penetrating anything, right? You're only, you're only helping your still waters cause with wasting and burning your ammo and stuff like that. And to be honest, it's more of a sport when you can decoy them or when you can get them in close enough to where you can actually do full capability of, 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 harvesting the animal properly and with yeah. one shot and down it goes and it's a quick that's quick my dispatch, favorite right? way yeah that's my favorite way when they're the birds completely committed it's my favorite way to hunt birds oh there ain't nothing better that, that's mm -hmm. right when you can trick a bird into coming into plastic plastic things that look like it and, and <laughs> there ain't nothing better than that there's one other resource that i figured i'd throw out there we talked about the uh regulations talked about the the map have you guys ever used eye hunter Mm -hmm. I use um, iHunter and uh, Hunt Buddy. Hunt, Hunt Buddy. Buddy. Yep. I think Hunt Buddy was uh, sort of the, the trailblazer on the, the That's phone. That's right. Mm -hmm. I think there's a guy by the name of Mark Stenroos in Alberta who took the iHunter thing. And for people that are new to it, it's a, it's a pretty good resource. It makes things, now of course, you have to check the synopsis, make sure that everything matches up, but they're pretty good at keeping on top of things and yep. knowing if, what your limits are, what, what the season is with the length of it, but the maps are the most, one of the th tools that I found quite useful. I remember it was, it was last year, actually, I was on an elk hunt and we had taken the kids into town to get some hot cocoa and ice cream and, and we're heading back and we're going through some farm, farmland and we see some juvenile elk in a farmer's field. And we pull over, the kids are trying to identify it and figure it. Everything around here was going to be private property and non-huntable. And as the kids are looking out, I look over at my wife and I say, well, you know, mama's not going to be too far away. And my wife had a cow elk tag. Mm -hmm. So too bad we're, we're in an area where we can't harvest them. And she pulls up the eye hunter and she looks, well, actually right across the street over there, it's completely open. Yeah. And I look across the street and there's. And there were cow elk right there. <laughs> Having resources like that can also be a, a helpful thing. I, I think I think a thing to touch on is well, you mentioned regulations. Right. And and as a core instructor, it's one of the things I stress a lot is regulations and how to read them properly. Right? So learn how to read the regulations properly. Because, and Jens will say the same. When you look at a lot of the, the hunt forums, Guys are asking simple questions that are in the regulations, right? It's like, hey, it's on page 15. Just look it up yourself sort of thing, right? right. They're relying so much on everybody to tell them what to do instead of actually doing the, the research. So in, in my core classes, I kind of spend a little extra time on the, on the regulations part because I want them to know how to use it. They can't come back to me and say, you didn't teach me about that. You didn't teach me about... Um, you know, the, the regulations well enough that I understand it. Now, when my students leave, they know how to, to read that regulation properly. I find that happens a lot. And, and, and hunters on the hunt forms get not upset, but they get tired of those silly questions that are so easily to, you should be able to figure them out yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, when, when a, when a question that's, pretty simple gets posted onto a, let's say a forum or a, a page on social. And you've had guys that have been in the game for 
Ever. 50 years or whatever you want to say. They, I can see how they can get easily annoyed with with simple questions like that or whatever, but uh, at the same time, these days and age, uh, I should say the kids or the people that are getting involved in this stuff almost want it spoon-fed to them to the point where they don't even care about reading the regulations. We have a, we, we've got a new influx, a new coming of, of new hunters coming into the thing where it's, you know, I pay for my license, I pay for my tags, I pay for my stamp, I can go out there and shoot. I don't know how much I'm allowed to shoot, I don't know where I'm allowed to shoot, but I'm just going to go out and shoot because they've never had that privilege before. Right. It's a privilege to hunt. It It is, but it's our right to hunt too. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I believe it's it's our right to bear arms and it's, uh, a firearm is just a tool to me. It yep. sits right next to a shovel, you know, on the front porch and it doesn't do any more damage than what it, than a shovel would too, digging in the yard, right? Preaching so, to the choir. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's a little bit of, uh, negligence, uh, when people are so put out dumbfounded questions and stuff like that. But at the same time, I think they just need a little bit of more direction and a little bit more help sometimes too, because if they're coming from an era where it's uncommon to have to work pretty hard to get to what you want in life, right? So. Well, nope. working in the gun store, what are what are some of the common things that you see people come in that you just kind of have to shake your head at? I'm, I'm sure there's... Oh, there's millions, Trav. You know, we come in with barrels put on backwards and... You know, <laughs> Jokes put in the wrong full, end. Fully loaded guns and uh, I don't know. It, it, hap- <laughs> it happens. But I mean, there's people from all walks of life and stuff like that. And like I said, they just need a little help, a little guidance. Sometimes it's due to negligence or laziness and stuff like that. But I mean, we get we get public coming in, uh, for public complaints. We get hunters coming in about other hunter complaints sometimes, but, but I mean, that's all part of the game. You know, when, when you're in that certain aspect of it, it's going to happen, you know, but it's not going to happen as often as you think it does. It just, it's going to happen in that time. We're trying to whittle it down to as minimal as possible. Right. Public complaints. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. What can new hunters do? to mitigate public complaints. I think I think they they should one know the rules, right? Just so that they're not out of place or out of bounds and stuff like that. And sometimes rules aren't there written, they're just the unwritten rules of the sport, you know what I mean? Mm. Not to set it just like you do in fishing, you're not going to go down there and go post below a guy in the run and start casting your thing in without going to maybe ask permission and say, Hey man, I know it's not your river, but out of etiquette, I'm going to ask you, Hey, can I fish below you? Or would you rather me fish above you? See, a lot of people wouldn't know that. No, they wouldn't. Right. And same thing with duck hunting, right? You're not going to go post a guy. I mean, I had it this year in similar situations, hunting snow geese where we had, uh, where we had a guy post up 50 yards off our, off our set. Come on. And you know, and what do you do? you you can either join forces with the guy or educate the guy or just if he's a plain, I guess, dick, mm-hmm. then uh, he's going to have that name built out for him later on or whatever, right? But in most circumstances, it all figures out its own way and stuff like that. And people get along. And I mean, as hunters, we all have to unite somehow because that's we we all love the sport. We all love mm-hmm. to hunt. We all, but we don't want it to be thrashed by the, the few and far between the people that are going to try and ruin it for us with being ignorant or uneducated things. So with the public complaints and stuff like that, yeah, I think it has to do with some 
some hunters and stuff like that that are ruining it for others. But I also think it's, I think it's a little bit ignorance on, on a part of the public that about most of the complaints that we get. Oh, I mean, for sure it is. Well, I mean, right. it, it, it lands on both sides for sure, but it'd be an example and an, an ethical hunter or a, a hunter with a bit of smarts wouldn't pick a heavy Southeast wind day to be shooting right behind a neighborhood. Yeah. Right. right. Cause it's going to sound like you're right in the backyard. So there's days where I've gone to a field and went, this might not be the right place to be shooting here today. Cause it's going to, I mean, yes, you're, you're more than legal. You're far enough out in the field that nobody's going to get rained on, but the noise is going to yep. make, make the neighbors mad. And that's the same thing with like casing your gun while you're walking the dike. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, Jens and I had this discussion. Well, I was with a fellow today, actually, in the store, and I was in there visiting Jens, and this fellow came in, and the discussion came up about hunting Boundary Bay, and with the with the Metro Vancouver running the strip park at the Dyke. Yeah, that was owned by Delta. Metro Van came to Delta and asked if they could manage the Dyke as a strip park, as a continuation from the Centennial Beach Parkway, right? Mm. So Centennial Beach Park used to come around and come over to Boundary Bay and it kind of ended there. They wanted to carry on the the strip park so people could enjoy that whole use of the park. Problem being is back when we were kids, that was pretty much strictly used by hunters. Right. Any of the guys would go out there with their pickups on a on a you know sunny Saturday afternoon and the dikes were never gated back then. You'd back up there on the thing, you'd have your trap throw out there, you'd be chucking pigeons out there, shooting shooting uh, clay birds and stuff like that. Well, that's come to an end after that happened. This fellow that we were talking to today, was, one of the comments was about walking over the dike or down the dike with an uncased gun and packing three ducks. Mm. The The general public who's not hunter savvy, not going to want to see that. No, not at all. So you got to be a bit smart as a hunter. Like, let's not be flashing it. Case your gun, throw your ducks in your blind bag or whatever, and then, yeah, you know. Mind your P's and Q's. The problem is people get a little bit confrontational. Like they'll they'll come across a, a person, just general public, that's not educated about hunting and you shouldn't be shooting birds out here. And, well, that's not the case. Boundary Bay, in that, in that aspect with that park there, it's a multi-use area. It's no different than Brunswick's point where people walk their dogs and the kids go out on their bikes and they ride along the dike. It's a multi-use area. Both like hunters need to get along with the public. Public needs to get along with the hunter. So, if you have a hunter or a group of hunters that's a bit confrontational with, you know, somebody from the public that's not educated about hunting or doesn't agree with hunting, that just makes it worse. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be all sorts of complaints, right? I think we all we've all been there. You know, where there's going to be confrontation. There's going to be people that don't share the same views that you have or anything like that. I'm all. What you said, Dennis, I'm all for that. I'm not I'm not too scared about I, I would case my gun on the dike, but I'm not scared about showing my my harvest no. or my fowl or anything like that. I think most people that walk those dikes, uh let's say sixty four, seventy second, Brunswick Point, Pit Marsh, whatever you want to call it, any public ground, I think most people are there are accepted of it and they know what's going on. You gotta remember that down Brunswick Point, that used to be all private dike. Mm. Public used to never be able to walk down there until they opened it up in the, I think it was mm-hmm. the early nineties or something like that. But you have to remember that the hunters were there before there was dog walkers, before there was, you know, 
morning walkers that had their cool crystal, you know, that come down there with their Starbucks. And now here I am stereotyping them. You know, we live in such a, an awesome place, especially Ladner. We don't want to put it too much on the map because then more people will come because it's already losing its small thing. We're getting mm-hmm. encroached with that big, ugly piece of pavement out there in Tawasin. Um, I mean, I shot thousands of ducks, or I shouldn't say thousands, uh, but hundreds of ducks right where that big, ugly mall sits. And now it's, now it's not it's soil. It's yeah, it's concrete now, right? You can't get that back. You can't grow, can't grow crop out of concrete. And here we are having some of the best soil in all of Canada and we're paving it over yeah. like it's nobody's business. And I, well, it, it brings up a, you know, there's a, the interesting balance because we, we talk about casing the gun because some people might be offended by seeing the firearm. Mm-hmm. By putting the your kill and hiding it away, I know I, I was speaking with another fellow, he says, you know what, I'd, I'd love to drive down the road with my deer opened up on the top, mm-hmm. letting the air cool it out, but I just can't do that because yeah. of how that'll look. And although it's perfectly legal for somebody to be walking out with their uncased firearm and perfectly fine for them to be displaying or, or having their harvest out in the open, there are going to be those within the society that are offended by it. Mm-hmm. And the difficult fight comes in when, just like you were saying before, it's, it's a tool. I was raised around firearms. I got my first firearm when I was, well, I started shooting at four, I got my first firearm at five years old. I still have it. I'll custom made 22 Stevens cut down to nice. get a five-year-old frame, right? Took down into two pieces, could throw it in my backpack, was perfect. I'm used to that. And for a long time, I, I had this attitude of it's legal, it's lawful, I can do it. Screw everyone else, yeah. right? I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong. But the reality of it is we are the minority. Yeah. We really are. And that's what's changed from like the seventies, the eighties and the early nineties. And now, you know, getting into, we're well into the two thousands now. And I mean, I hate to say it, but the snowflakes are winning. You know what I mean? Like they're, I shouldn't say they're winning because it's not a fight for that, but I don't think anyone should be not proud to be a hunter or, or a, even a shooter or a, or a fisherman or anything like that because a certain group of people that are, are more minded like that disagree on that part, right? But it's a touchy subject, right? Because at any point in time, you could say the wrong thing and you're going to be the bad guy, right? You say one wrong thing and shame on you. And when it comes down to, I, do I case a gun? Do I not? Do I, I hide the harvest or I not? And then it becomes the argument of, well, if we keep casing it and hiding it and people don't see it, Mm -hmm. then how do you normalize it? Because not having, not seeing the firearm becomes the norm and you further hurt your cause. Well, like just back in the day when guys would roll around in their, in, in their Chevy or their Ford or whatever with three guns sitting in the back window, right? You wouldn't think anything. I went to, I, when I went to high school, I used to drive a Cutlass Supreme with empty bullet shells all around the thing, like dingle balls, but there were shotgun shells. Perfectly legal, but I got pulled over quite a bit. But at the same time, it was like, that was, I was okay with displaying that. I was okay with, you know, being okay with that. And at that time, it was right at that transitioning point where, you know, guns are scary, guns are bad, guns are thing. I think a lot of it is just ignorance and uneducated people about certain things. It's, it's, 
it's a tool and so it's a way to harvest animals right well speaking of yeah well speaking of the general public and people seeing hunters out there dennis you had an experience where somebody got their phone out filmed you i think they put it on youtube didn't they media yeah went went up to the media yeah yeah um yeah we had a we had a, a opportunity a very privileged opportunity to hunt a piece of property who not many people get to hunt and it's back in the back in when we were allowed to hunt the property now it's uh, being developed so it's kind of off the table but back in that in that time there was a handful of us that had permission to hunt there and it came to the point where the public pressure from around that farm they kept complaining to the landowner and the landowner finally said okay there's no more hunting here got to the point where there was so many snow geese in this property that even the neighbors were like, man, we can't even sleep at night. They're there all the time. So the landowner finally said, okay, come on in and, and you know, let's harvest some of these geese and make them move on. This uh, a resident, say, you know, everybody's got a phone now on their, with, with a camera on yeah. their video. So came out and videoed us, called the, the local Delta police and uh, made, a, made a big scene of it. Ended up going to media. When it was in the papers, it was, uh, you know, on the news. We weren't doing anything wrong. We followed all the rules. The guy tr- basically tried to make a mockery of myself and my hunting partner at the time. We stayed professional, answered the questions. The media came The media came to my hunting partner's residence. We uh, did an interview. People just need to understand that we harvest our animals. We just don't go shoot them just because. Mm-hmm. We don't shoot over our limit. We're conservationists, we, you know, us as duck hunters, when the ducks are freezing, we get a big, long freeze up. Example would be way back when Boundary Bay was froze over. Mm-hmm. The ducks were freezing, they were thin. The Delta Rod and Gun Club went and purchased a whole bunch of grain and went and spread it out for the birds to eat. You wouldn't see yeah. Joe Public do uh, that. We, we get, you know, I, I say as hunters, we give so much more back to the wildlife than any of the general public does. Well, the old saying, hey, Jen's like the the migratory bird stamp. Oh, yeah. Us as hunters buy that migratory bird every stamp. Year. Every year, the money goes back into the waterfowl. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean that Joe Public can't buy that same stamp and contribute. Well, that's what I mean. The guy taking, I mean, I take photography of, of wild birds and love them just as much as when they're alive as when they're on my table. Right. But they don't see the... The hours put in at, uh, at, let's say, the sanctuary or or behind uh, planting a cover crop for a farmer or anything like that, too. Like I said to the uh, dike walker that might complain that when you have harvested birds there, it's like, hey, man, I pay $17.85 every year for my bird stamp, and that contributes to the wildlife habitat restoration to all that stuff. What do you do? You can buy that, too. Right. Why, ha- why haven't you bought your bird stamp? Do you have your bird stamp? Anyone can buy it. Not only that, it's a cool thing to collect. Well, that's too, right? I don't think a lot of the general public actually knows, knows that. that, right? Yeah. No. I mean, if yeah, you're a, a good tip, if you're a birder and if you enjoy photography or going out there with your binoculars and looking at the chickadees, looking at the sparrows, looking at the starlings and the waterfall, yeah, and the yeah. waterfall, anything that all helps that, right? But just on a on a case in point, touching Dennis is like the other thing that people don't realize is how much damage those birds do to farmers' crops. Mm. I've had a farmer come up to me that has 
significant amount of property on Weston Island. And he's come up to me and he goes, Jens, you know what? I didn't get a wink of sleep last night. And I said, why? And he said, you know what it sounds like to have $10,000 get eaten out over two nights? Yeah. And it's like, you sit there and you're like, and he's like, can you, you come do? and pound them out for me? And it's like, yeah, I can only do my best. But at the same time, it's like, that guy's losing money, right? It's, it's getting eaten out house and home. Every single field, you know, mm. and, it's, and it doesn't take long for a big flock of snow geese to annihilate a whole field. And well, then it, they stamp down the ground. The yep. water will sit on the top. That's and right. Yep. And then, I mean, and then you go as far as how much damage they do here. And then when they migrate back up north into the tundra, how much damage they do up there. They're almost eating themselves out of house and home. They're almost killing themselves off because there's so many of them on this, on this certain flyaway and on, on the mid central flyway, central mm -hmm. flyway and the Mississippi flyway, all that stuff that they're eating the tundra so fast that it can't even regrow back so that the birds can eat the next year after that. There's just so many of them that they're eating so much that the little, the juveniles can't survive that. Yeah. And right now those numbers are just out of control. They're out of, of control. Yeah. Eventually it'll self-level one would think. Food well, will run out. I mean, something is going to happen. But. Yeah. Trav, they had that guys that used to say, you know, they wouldn't see a snow goose in the eighties and they mm -hmm. might see a, you know, they might have, you know, 5,000 on the flyaway in the nineties here. I'm talking Pacific flyaway mm -hmm. here on our coast. And then you'd Generally, and then you just saw the explosion happen where you had, you know, where the normal was 50,000. Now it's at 60,000. Now it's at, you know, 130,000 on good hatch years and stuff like Boy, that. I never too. used to hear or see snow geese in East Delta, Chilliwack. They're up the valley now, yeah. but they never used to be. I mean, it used to be, we hunted them on the foreshore. We hunted them on West Island, maybe at Brunswick. That was it. Now they're, they've come inland. They're like, Right in the central Ladner, East Delta, wow, that's and further out, and that and and in years gone by, that wasn't common to see. Yeah, but it wasn't common to have a casino or a, a big mega mall no, or anything no, like that true. too, right? So a lot of lot of areas. I mean, been it turns decimated. those it turns those birds pretty nocturnal pretty quick. I mean, you you don't get to pound them in the daylight hours, and they come in at night, and you can't do anything about that. They get yeah. so smart so fast, and you have so much light pollution around here that they can come in and, and they can they can feed at night and then they'll leave at first light. You don't get a crack at them. Well, and, that's and the a good farm. example, Jens. I mean, right by my shop is right where Highway 99 and Highway 17 meet. Yeah. And they have those big light halos at mm -hmm. the at the interchanges. And behind the shop at night, it's that field's lit. And the snow geese would come in there at night, every night. And they, it was just like it was daylight there for them. Oh, they you didn't wait, even phase them to You wait till the, the slot machines go up down yeah, the road from you. Even worse. <laughs> it'll be even worse. Thanks, Mr. Toygo. Yeah. <laughs> shout out. Shout out, bud. Make your money. Yeah. yeah I didn't know. Well, another I, thing that hunters can do to, to help <laughs> themselves too is we talked about it earlier was to pick up after themselves. Mm. Right? You know, like earlier we mentioned like uh, if you saw something wrong with the property, the tree down on a fence or, you know, beaver down in the ditch or whatever. But I mean, that's part of it. You go out there and, and you have the privilege to, to hunt on, whether it be public land or private land, try not to uh, leave the big mass. I mean, I get it. Some of the casings, they go off in the side and you don't find them in the long grass. But if you want to be welcome back there or you want to keep hunting open in the area, you got to kind of pick up after yourself too. So, yes, you know, pick up your, pick up your casings, pick up your lunch wrappers. It's, you know, 
make it nice as it as it can be or nicer than when you got there. And that's the problem. Like I've gone to doors and banged on a door and asked for permission and and it's a farmer I don't know. It's in an area I don't know. And the, and the answer is no, mm. because the previous hunter there was a Slav hunter, right? We'll, right. we'll use, just use that term. It didn't pick up after themselves, left their, you know, pizza box behind or whatever they had for lunch and beer can laying in the blind or whatever. And so the farmer's like, nah, I'm not, not interested in going through that scenario again. So, you know, the hunters need to help themselves by, you know, looking after the piece of property they're hunting on. And like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be private land, even on the public lands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of times they'll go to a spot, you know, that's pretty commonly used by duck hunters and you'll go there and there's casings from the previous guy there and you're like, oh, come on, man. And you're going to fill a half of a five-gallon pail and I'd five pick minutes, them pick them up. Yeah, yeah right? you, don't have, you don't have to be the, the superhero and stuff like that. There's marsh cleanups and stuff, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be your mess to pick it up either, right? Because mm-hmm. no, it'll affect you. It's all, it's all the duck juju too, right? Like it's, I mean, if you pick up 12 casings, you're probably going to shoot your limit of ducks. Is it, I mean, that's how yep. I put it. If you pick up three Tim Hortons cups and a pizza box and stuff like that, you're probably going to get some some good flocks coming your <laughs> yeah, way, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's not going to happen all the time, but I mean, it's better to be on the good side than the bad side anyways. And on the public side, I'd like to circle back to your story there, Dennis, with the person taking the video, because I remember seeing that video and there's a bit of an uproar and I remember watching, it's like, it was hard to see in the video, but I'm like, I think I know that guy. <laughs> I'm looking at it. I got a pretty distinct profile. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I watch it and although there was negativity surrounding it at first, I was really impressed with what you did afterwards. You did the interview with the media, you educated them as to what people are allowed to do what you were doing out there. And, and I think whether you're the type of person to case your firearm or to tuck away your harvest or to have it out displayed, engaging the public when you're out there, educating them what you're doing and why you're doing that. Just, even if it's just a, a nod, Hey, how are you doing? The yep. friendly. Always try to be friendly. And that's what most of it is on the dike there yeah. too. Unless, I mean. The people that are going to give you a scowling look most of the time, even when you're walking on the streets without a gun or without stuff like that, someone's going to give you a, your camo someone's going to give you a, you know, a bitch sure. face. I'm not going to really give you the time of day either. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, it's, it's important to, you know, let, let the people know that you're there and yeah. you're doing everything legal and everything's cool and you're not going there to hurt nobody. I mean. Even that smile, a little yeah. bit of outreach yeah. and all of a sudden, exactly. maybe you're not just a scary guy with a gun. Yeah. Okay. Got it. He's, yeah. I can, I completely, I, I can see where it comes from both sides where, you know, where you've got a guy walking with a gun and you might not be comfortable around guns, just like most of the general public's not because they're unaware of what it can do. But yeah, just a simple smile or a good morning or have a good, have a good rest of the walk and Mm -hmm. be on your way. And that's kind of, I think the, most of the general public along these dikes and stuff like that, they kind of know they, they're it's not their first rodeo. And most of the time, if it's uh, a guy coming down from Vancouver with his Maserati and Starbucks and <laughs> wants to walk his chihuahua on the dike and he might have a problem with it, but at the same time, it might just take two minutes of education and he might be on your side. You never know. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we've talked about etiquette, some tips, some really good tips, actually, if people are really listening to this, there's some great takeaways, uh, and educating the public. Before we wrap things up, is there anything that we should get out there? Anything that we haven't talked about that uh, should probably be said? Um, 
I don't know. I think it, I think just based on, I mean, we've only kind of touched on the Delta Ladner area. I mean, there's lots of other places to hunt waterfowl and, you know, Langley, White Rock, Surrey, mm -hmm. Pitt Meadows, Cloverdale, Chilliwack, all those things, right? You can go anywhere. Uh, I would just encourage people if, if they want to get into the sport, don't be afraid to jump in. It, it is an expensive hobby to do and stuff like that. Uh, it, it will, it is an addiction. Once you get into it, 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 it's an addiction. So if you have a significant other, just make sure that they're ready, ready for, uh, <laughs> Ready for that addiction to start and ready for, Re you know. Ready for that three in the morning jumping out of bed. Yeah. Where are you going on this stormy <laughs> exactly. front morning? Yeah. Ready to yeah. squirrel away a little extra money for a gun or some extra ammo or something like that. But I would just say, just remember you're representing all of us when you're out there. It's not, you're, you're representing yourself, but you're also representing all of us out there. So if you treat wildlife and our resource and our environment with a good hand, then I think it'll all repay itself in the end. Uh, the other thing I'd, I'd touch on is if, if right now with the world that we're living in, everything is getting developed, everything is getting, uh, overexposed. We're dealing with tons of stuff against our own environment here in British Columbia. People move here to see what we have and what we have to offer. And right now we're, we're moving in a certain direction to where we don't care about our wildlife is what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I might be a little bit biased, but with our government and stuff like that, BC is one of the most renowned places to come to in the whole world. We live in the best place in the whole world. Yeah, agreed. And if we don't start caring about our wetlands, our oceans, I, and I'm not giving a Greenpeace speech or anything like that, all I'm asking is that you give maybe 20 minutes of your time at, at, at on maybe sign a petition or maybe go to a meeting. Uh, but we're losing a lot of, a lot of stuff each and every day, um, whether it's to do with coal pollution or loss of foreshore or loss of public ground to hunt on, even big game or waterfowl, mm. I, I suggest that you get involved in that. And especially if you're a newcomer, because it's for the, the newer comers, it's for our kids and their kids that are happening. If we lose that, then we'll not, we're not the same British Columbia. We're not the same... Delta. We're not the same Langley. We're not the same area anymore. Right? One of the biggest things I think well, that hurts us as hunters is hunters bickering with hunters. Oh, social media. We're never going to cure that. Social one. media is the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Because you know the hunters are are bickering back and forth between each other, and uh, we're not sticking together. Mm. So you know we're we're imploding ourselves. Um. You know whereas the We'll call them the leaf lickers is what I usually refer to Sorry, them what as. Was that? The, leaf the leaf lickers. Oh, I like that leaf one. lickers. I haven't heard that one before. Um, you know, they um, they don't understand hunting. We try our best to educate them. You know, some of us guys, but but for the most part, it's uh, it, it, it it's our own bickering well, back and forth between hunter hunter versus hunter and this group versus that group, whether it be BC Wildlife Federation and resident hunters of British Columbia, whatever bickering back and forth, the, the, the end result is we're do what we do because we enjoy wildlife. We enjoy mm -hmm. being out in the, out mm -hmm. in the wilderness, whether it be fishing and hunting, hiking, trapping, whatever it is. But if we just learn to, you know, stop, think, listen a little bit and, uh, and, and pitch in. And the, and the big thing is like the worst thing to, that I come across is the keyboard warrior. 
and right. and I put my time in. I go to meetings. I yep. I sat on the board of the federation. I was a director for BC Wally Federation for the longest time, even after I was the regional president. We go, we put our time in, and you put all that work in, and then somebody squishes everything you did, and it's it's like, man, what did I do that for? Like, how, why did I work so hard so somebody could stomp me? What it boiled down to is the keyboard warrior, and and I I'll question him quite often, like, hey, I I see you're complaining. Well, I've never seen you at a meeting before. Yeah, yeah, right. Never why seen don't you put in your time. Why don't you come out to a meeting and put your time in? Well, I, I don't I don't do that. I'd rather just do it from here. Well, you don't have all the facts, so please get the facts before you start. The thing the thing typing that, on the that social does is uh, it gives. It gives a perception. It puts it. You put yourself out there when you make comments or when you post something or whatever. You're gonna put yourself out there, but you better be educated when you put yourself out there. I have guys. Um, I got guys direct messaging me all the time. Hey man, like where'd you shoot your birds? How do you shoot that many birds? How are you so good? How are the blah blah blah? I said, you know what? The best duck hunters I know don't have social media. Mm. They don't do social media. They're an old guy that goes out in his boat every day and shoots his limited ducks or he shoots four ducks and he's content with that and he stops after four because that's yeah. all he can eat or yeah. that's all and, he wants and, or and whatever, he, And right? he's, he's learned. Like he's followed the pattern. He's done his homework. He's scouted. He's he's comfortable with how, you know, his shooting capabilities. He lets the birds get him to 40 yards. He, you know, knows how to set up decoys. He's a competent caller. You know, I, I, you go out to the marsh some days and there's a guy with a duck call and you're like, you just want to get in your boat and drive him and cram it down his throat because it's just like, oh, <laughs> fuck, you don't, you don't the sound over anything like a duck, right? <laughs> you know, but everybody's got to learn somewhere. The, so, the social platform, I mean, it's like here, I've caught, I caught this fish and then the next guy posts, hey, I caught a bigger fish. Hey, I caught a bigger fish. Hey, I caught a bigger fish. I caught a bigger fish. Well, man, good luck. Good, good job, good man. Because yeah. the... The 70-year-old guy that did it in the 80s that caught twice as big as fish as you don't care. Mm -hmm. And neither do half of the other ones. But at the same time, it's you're only representing yourself in, in that type of way. So if you want to be that guy, you go ahead and be that guy. You're going to shoot yourself in your own foot, right? So, yep. But at the same time, you can also move in a more positive direction and uh, guiding people or helping helping people know the rules or you know maybe helping them out with a little extra info or something like that. But the real warriors are the guys that are going to bat every 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 day for us. Uh, whether it's contributing to BC Wildlife or or going to you know Region Two meetings or Region Three meetings or Region Five meetings, they're all it's all important mm -hmm. here in BC. It's not just this local aspect to it. I mean, it's it it goes as far as Cranbrook, Prince George, all the way up there, right, mm -hmm. all the way through our natural resources. And right now the way that I see it going and stuff like that, it's, it's kind of getting put in the back pocket and we really don't care about it. And all the leaf lickers, as Dennis would say, when the, <laughs> when the hunters and the fishermen battle against each other, they just sit there with a bowl of popcorn and love it. Right. They just eat it all up. Right. They, they, they want to see us turn against each other. And I get it. We're in a, we're, it's, it's a sport and it's competitive. People want to be at the top of the chain. They want to, they, they want to go out the there best. and people yeah. want to be successful though, too. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. The only re the, the only way that you're going to be successful is by going out there and repetition, doing it lots and lots of times. But it's saying that, Jens, I mean, you go out there and I don't know, and it's happened to me many times and then same with you, you and I've hunted together before and you go out there on a day and you don't get any. Oh yeah. But you still learn something. Oh, 
you know, well, I, I think the definition of success has to be what you're talking about there. Social media sometimes skews success yeah. as, well, you gotta have to have a pickup truck full of birds yeah. or you gotta have the biggest fish, but success is what? Did you yeah. go out there and have fun? Did yeah. you learn something? Yeah. Did you make some bonds? Well, and then look at Jen says, you got a pickup truck full of, full of birds or, or, you know, your sleds full of greenheads that you shot that day sort of thing. We didn't come by that easily. We mm. worked our way well, to that. Right. We we learned. It's called the knocks of life, the knocks of hunting. You go out and you learn, oh, I didn't do it right. Biggest thing guys can learn is go get permission, go hunt private land. doesn't really matter. Biggest thing is scouting, concealment, and decoy placement. Mm. And then the fourth would be learn your firearm, right, gents? Oh, and your calling and all that stuff too, right? That come, that well, calling your... comes with time, but biggest thing is like, how did you do so well? And I've always said that I put my time in scouting, put my, you know, fuel in the tank, miles on the truck. When you get there, make your hide as most natural as you can. So you use hide around you to build your blind. You, you laugh at these, some of these guys, you go by and you'll see a nice goose spread out in the field somewhere. And this blind sticks out like you took your hammer to your thumb <laughs> and stuck it out in the middle of the field. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yellow in a green field sort of mm -hmm. thing. Right? So... One of the biggest thing is concealment. If you if you stay hidden and match what the terrain around you is, your your success rate most likely is going to go up. Mm. Yeah, and you'll learn you'll learn from that. That's that's another thing of successfulness is like when you go out there and you see birds flaring off you, or or you're you're down or you're upwind of an elk and it smells you. You know what I mean? Mm. You're going to learn from that experience when you got a big six point bull walking in front of you and you're on the wrong side of the wind. Well, hey man, that thing, that, yeah, that thing takes off. Well, I bet you if you're, if you're into it, you're going to learn from that experience, right? Same with whatever moose calling or when you show up in the rut, it's not just to do with that. It's getting to know what you really want to get into, right? So the more you know about it and the more you experience it, the better you're going to be. And, and it doesn't mean that you need to put eight green heads on the tailgate. It doesn't mean that you need to have a six point bull hanging in your, in your uh, man cave doesn't mean that you need to catch the biggest steelhead and but it does mean that you can go out there and you can have a good time doing it and enjoy the outdoors what what the it process. has what it has to offer yeah, yeah you learn every time out there mm -hmm. every time you can learn something new out there i mean and there ain't there ain't a time that i haven't went out and i go out a lot where you don't learn something mm -hmm. and now you get it, you get guys that at certain stages in their i guess you could say their hunting career or their fishing career where they're successful, but they want to share their success and show other people. They get more, they get more gratitude with sh bringing other people out there and watching them light up on, mm. on, you know, hooking a steelhead or, or shooting a couple widgeon or, you know, watching yeah. birds work or bugling in an elk. You know what I mean? Like that, all that stuff, just talking about that stuff makes the hair on my back, uh, on my yeah. neck stand yeah. up. Right. So, and, and then when you see a, a newcomer or even, even a guy that's just been in it for five to six years and you've already seen the show, you've already seen that Cirque du Soleil parade plenty of times, but they haven't. Right. And, and then, you know, they're hooting and hollering after it all is successful. I mean, that's, that's, that's when you know that you're doing something right in there. Hell, right? I still so, hoot and holler when I get one down. <laughs> oh, every time, buddy. <laughs> every time. Then when, I told you it's an addiction. Around. You yeah. go out there all the time, right? Oh yeah, for sure. You gotta have an eye. I, I think... So if you want to get into hunting, you got to have an understanding wife 
Number two, you got to have an understanding wife. Number three, you got to have an understanding <laughs> wife. Number four, you got to be spending money on your wife. And number number Put a five, big fat ring on her finger. Number five, you just have to have an understanding of people around you that accept you for who you are, right? So it, it ain't easy, and and no one ever says. And if you can find someone uh, that'll share all that passion with you and stuff, kudos to that because. Yes. That's what I have found made things a little bit easier was that 100-mile diet thing, eh? Yeah. Right? That did. People are a little more interested in trying organic meat. Yeah. So they'd be like, hey, Dennis, could I have a duck? Or could I have a snow goose or a pheasant or what? No problem. I'll give you one. Yeah. Or could I have like a even a package of elk hamburger or something? It's the right? first thing that goes on an open table anytime anyways. Right? I go it's to an event. Game. I go to an event and it'd be a, just a social, like a gathering, whatever. Bring an appy. I'll always bring... Uh, a selection of, say, some smoked fish and so, a couple different, so some duck and goose sausage, maybe some elk sausage, whatever. And it's usually the first thing gone at these parties. And they're like, what's this? What's this? What's this? So I put these little flags in there, elk sausage, you know, yeah. goose sausage, whatever. People try it and they're like, wow, this is pretty good. Yeah. One of the things we do is the Waterfowl Heritage Days, right? right. So the Waterfowl Heritage Days, quite often we see single moms now. They have a a son or a daughter that's kind of interested in hunting, but mom doesn't know anything about hunting. So they find out about waterfowl heritage when we bring them out. I find it, you know, pretty funny. We've had some kids that they barely set foot out of the house. They don't do sports. They, you know, their, their buddy said, Hey, there's this waterfowl heritage days thing. We get to go hunting and shoot, try to shoot ducks and geese. We always do a lunch with them. And in the past we did like duck fajitas or a duck chili or goose chili, that sort of thing. And I, I kind of snicker because you see these these single moms come and they'd have like their their skirt, business attire on, drop the kid off in the morning, come back later. And, you know, and they're miffed that you've asked them to meet him at, at Wellington Park at five in the morning and these yeah. poor single moms <laughs> got to drag her butt out of bed and get the yeah. kid down there, right? Come back at lunchtime and we got a big lunch spread put out and they kind of turn their nose up at it. And, I, and I've said to a few of them, look, just try it. Like, try a duck fajita or a goose fajita and whatever. And if you throw it in the garbage, you won't hurt my feelings, but at least you tried it. Right. But nine times out of ten, they would try it, or maybe even nine and a half times out of ten, they would try it, and they're like, hey, this is pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, and the goal then was to try to get all the kids to harvest a duck, and even the ones that didn't, quite often there were some kids that harvested two or three ducks, and they'd all go home with a duck. We'd send them home with a recipe. they go home with a lot more than that. And they would try it. Yeah. They go home with a lot more than that, though. Hey, Dennis, that, the, that day changes a lot of those kids' lives, and and you'd be surprised on that might change their path in life. You know, with a single mom dealing with a a teenage boy, I mean, that maybe without a male influence in in their life, when they get to maybe that w one or two days a year that they get to go out and they get to be with the boys or or the girls too, because they can hunt too yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. But for that special time in that moment, that day, they go, they tell all their friends at school, they tell their grandpa, they tell their ma, they tell everybody how great that was. I don't think we've ever had a sour experience on a waterfowl heritage Not yet. Not and yet. And, some t and some years we've been out there and we've only shot, what, three ducks, but some days we're out there, I mean, some waterfowl heritage days we're out there, we shoot 20 20, 30 snow geese, right? Yeah, just the luck of the draw. It's hunting. But but it's those, those, no matter if you shoot shoot a bird or you don't shoot a bird, that day from right there, they will forever remember that. I promise you that because they won't ever uh, I know that. it for fact, Jens. Uh, I get guys 
coming into the store that you brought out that are my age, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. or just a little younger than me, and they still talk about that day, right? Yeah. And that's the day that basically groomed them into, you know, maybe starting waterfowl or, you know. So if you ever get that opportunity where you got a, a kid that's going to tap you on the shoulder that, you know, maybe maybe you put aside a weekend day for him or, or you know, you take him out for a night flight or take her out for a night flight or whatever, right? We, we encourage anybody and anybody, and it's never too late to get into the sport. I mean, uh, we had my oldest hunter in the shop this year was 104 years old. He, he shot his own deer and dragged it out, right? So 104. 104. Wow. Um, that's what I filled out the license. I was yep. like, oh man, you're old. He's like, oh. <laughs> Is it, he yep. Had, yeah, he had, his, he had his little yeah, Filipino caretaker, pay, <laughs> pay, the, pay the, the license fee and stuff like that. But um, he said he was going hunting, right? But I mean, you deal with kids from five years old all the way up to 90 years old. You're never too late to start in the sport, whether you're male or female. Uh, it's, it should be welcomed with open arms. And I mean, if you're going to snub your nose at, people that are eager to learn and, and want to get in your sport, then you might be in it for the wrong reason right now. Mm-hmm. Right. What so. I have noticed as a, as a core instructor over the years is how many, how many women and children I've taught. Mm-hmm. Like it used to be pretty much predominantly a, a male sport. Oh, mm-hmm. The numbers are going. And now that there's so many ladies and, and kids that I've taught and probably more kids than, you know, pretty much almost all the kids that have shot here in Ladner at one time, I'd probably cross paths with him, whether it be as a core instructor or as when we ran the, the Delta Ladner Rod and Gun Club Junior Program. And what do you attribute that to? My mentors. Yeah. You know, my mentors taught me. And how, I mean, how it came about with me getting some of these 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 kids involved. Uh, my mentors taught me well. There was nobody to take over the youth program at our gun club, so we took it over. As time went on, like my sister got involved. She would tell her friends. So then now there's a few girls getting involved. That now, again, like we talked about the 100, the 100 mile diet, yeah. a, a lawyer friend of mine, she and her daughters were vegan. And they came to me one day and they said, Dennis, we, we'd like to take the core. And I'm like, kind of threw me off guard that they wanted to take the core because they're vegans. Mm-hmm. And I said, why? And she said, well, I'm, I'm dating a fella and he's a hunter and we tried some deer and we thought it was good. And it's like organic, it's healthy, like there's no growth hormone in it. So we want to learn how to hunt. So I taught her and her two daughters and a, and a girlfriend of hers, the core. And these, these four girls, well, three of them for sure that I'm still in contact with, they love to duck hunt, wow. they love to deer hunt, mm-hmm. right? And they love to eat it now too. They love yeah. eating it. You know, I, I attribute that to a few things. Like you're saying, the 100 mile diet. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's popular. People want to be eating organic. They want to eat local. And we find a lot more people coming through, a lot of hipster types that are coming in that just want to be able to provide for themselves. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a desire for people to go out and be self-sufficient. I don't know what's driving that exactly. If there's a uncertainty in their own life or if they're watching the news too much and seeing all the negativity and thinking, well, I better be prepared. Uh, But we do see those types coming in. And as much as hunters, as we look at the doom and gloom of kind of where things are going with the encroachment and population growth and the 
lack the limited access that's uh, just as time ticks on. I also see the other side to that. The face of hunting itself seems to be changing. Yeah. The, the reasons that people are looking to get into it seem to be changing. And I think what you guys mentioned earlier, for these people who might be intimidated to go out and go to the gun club or to strike up a conversation from, with some of the old boys, joining a club, putting in that time to meet the, the old guard and learn from them is a, is an integral part. It's, it's a way that this sport's going to continue. And in the same respect, the old guard's going to have to take a look and realize that some yeah. of these hunters aren't really doing, they're not dressing like how we would dress. They're yeah. not, they're not exactly the type of person that we are, but they are enjoying the same sport. They're doing it legally. They're doing it ethically. That's right. I think that's a huge component to it. I think there's a little give and take on both, both sides of it and stuff, uh, where, you know, the good old boys might have to give up a, a, a little bit of their knowledge to the new up-and-comers so that you can all join up and mm. and and conquer the hunting in, here in British Columbia. But I think just touching on the 100-mile stuff, I think people are starting to try to understand where their food comes from. Mm. And I think, I think a lot of people... It's a scary world out there. It's moving a mile a minute. I mean, you can't even keep up. That's why, I I mean, we don't watch the news in our place or anything like that. It's just bad, bad stuff to do because, I mean, it's not in, worth it. in, the short, in the short time that you have here on this earth, you got to be focused on the people that you care about, the things that you want to do, and the surrounding, your area, your atmosphere and stuff like that. And if you're too caught up in other people's worlds and stuff like that, you're not going to you, enjoy life. No, yeah. you're not going to get there, right? You're not you're not going to get the most satisfaction. So, touching back on where your food comes from, yeah, do I have to grab a duck sometimes and wring its neck and and put it out of its misery? Yeah, you bet I've had to do that a couple thousand times. But at the same time, if I feel remorse for that animal, every big game animal I've taken, every even every duck that I've taken. When, when you kill something, it, if you don't feel a bit of remorse, then you're in it for the wrong reason mm. because it is taking another thing's life, but you're using it to sustain your life. You're, you're, you're using all parts of that. I, uh, I totally agree with you, Jens. Uh, and I, you know, I've shot lots of big game animals, lots of birds over the years. And, and people have asked me that lots of times, like, what's it like as a hunter? And, and what's it like when you harvest something? And I've said to him many times, it has, every emotion goes through your, through your body, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're excited because, hey, I, I'm, I have this opportunity to harvest this elk or this deer or this goose or whatever. And then, you know, so you're happy to be out there with your buddies. You're excited. All that's going through your mind. Hey, we're having a good time. And, oh, here's my opportunity. So you, you harvest that animal and you knock it down. And now you're like, oh, man, I just... I just shot an animal. Now, so now there's a the sad feeling, right? Mm. Um, yeah, I just harvest this, but hey, it's for my family. We're going to eat it. It's you know. You respect it though. You res- you respect the thing and totally. you respect the game that you chase and you respect the game that you're in. And it, it it's it's not it's not for the faint of heart, I should say. But at the same time, like I know where my food comes from. I know, I know that I worked hard for this for whether it's meat or whether it's even vegetables out of the garden. Like, I mean, I don't fight vegans. I don't fight vegetarians. I respect them. 
they have their own way of living. That's fine and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But if if a certain group's going to come at me because they don't like the way that I harvest animals or the way I kill animals or anything like that, I mean, my rebuttal to them is, you know, quit eating all their food. I mean, they're, I mean, they're eating vegetables. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, we can go there, but uh, at the same time, it's like, you know, you don't I, want I've to. I've had that argument. I've had that argument with with the lady once. She's like, I can't believe you would go out and kill animals. And I go, well, it's no different than you going to the store and purchasing yours. The right. difference is, I know where mine came from. Mine didn't go through the slaughter process. Well, I'm a vegan. I said, well, what's the difference? You're upset that we're that we've harvested a living being. Mm-hmm. My example was like, you don't think that carrot was sitting there just living its life, just say, hey, this is a great well, life. And all of a sudden you grab it by its hair, yank it out of the ground, wash it off and start eating it. But the other thing is, <laughs> well, it's like everything, a completely different everything's story. living. The other thing is too, it's like you get, uh, I just don't want to pick on that certain group, but like, I mean, you get, you get a crop of vegetables. Well, that ve- the vegetables now, they all get sprayed. So bugs die from that, you know, just because you have to eat those vegetables, so they have to be contained, so they have to get sprayed. So mice, rats, bugs, all living creatures that you're having a problem with, us harvesting are do are getting harvested off or killed off because you're wanting to eat this plant or something like that, right? So, you know, it's touche here, touche there. It's like circle, what yeah. what can you do, right? But at the same time, I've you don't want to argue with that point. You just want to say, hey. That's a tough thing to argue. Yeah, you right. you live your you live your style of life, and I'll keep in my lane and live my style, and I'll I'll help people that are in my, in in the way of my life, and you help people the way that yours is. But I'm not going to go out and bash on the way that you live life because that's the way you live it. You go right ahead. You have your your own choice, your own way of doing that. But this is how I want to live mine. This is the animal that I want to eat. You know, a lot We're, of a lot of what I enjoy about being out there is, uh, you know, being out with my friends or my family, whatever. You know, enjoying nature and harvesting and gathering a lot of our a lot of our food. Like so, while we're out there, I've done the fiddlehead collecting. Yeah, yeah. We, we grab morel mushrooms when they're in, you know when they're around. Yeah, shaggy manes, all yeah. that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So it's all part of being out there. All right. So yeah. and people don't understand that it's it's more than just out there harvesting animals or trying to hunt animals. It's just being in nature, enjoying living, it. Living. Mm. living Getting right? away from the city. Yeah. Well, Getting away from the city. Yeah, it's living, right? It's a different different way of living. You got to respect that. You got to respect other people's way of living. You got to respect. If you respect mine, I'll respect yours. So let's just put it that way. Too, Correct. Right? right? And it's and it's unfortunate that, I mean, everybody has an opinion. It's Some people just don't understand how you live, how I live, how Travis lives. And then they, they got to put their two cents in. And don't get me wrong. It's, it's tough taking an animal's life. Like it's not, it's not, it's not an easy thing. It's not just, we go out there and, you know, we shoot an animal, put the blood on our face and say, yeah, like beat our chest chest and say, Hey, this is what, this is what we're here to do and stuff like that. It's, it's a, it's a thing of privilege. It's, it's, you come in there and you, you work hard for what you want to do and it's not easy. So that's why I respect I have a little bit more respect for those people that are are capable of doing that, knowing where their food comes from, maybe getting their hands a little bit dirty, maybe working hard for what they're entitled to, right? Get a more so, intimate relationship with yeah. life and death. Yeah. And it creates a greater value in most people understanding that. Mm-hmm. 
Well, like you, you touched on something. You said it's 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 not easy. No. And people who think out there being a hunter is easy, it's not. There's easier the ways to get your meat. The hunters yeah. that are successful, they work hard to be successful. The the weekend warrior who thinks it's just as easy just to jump in the boat, throw out a dozen decoys, and go out and harvest a bunch of ducks. Go figure that they're out. They're not going to be yeah, very they'll learn. successful. They'll learn fast. Right? You yep. have to put the time in, work hard at it. It's it's far from easy. You know, you got to you gotta expect that you're going to go on that elk hunt and not harvest an animal. Go and learn a little bit. And the next year you might be successful or have a have a great chance at, a, at an animal. Right? Good encounter, yeah. Right. So, I mean, example, my dad, him and I've hunted lots over the years. My dad has never had the opportunity to hunt big bull elk during the rut. And this year I had to, the pleasure to take him along with me. We harvested a, an elk a few days before, uh, but I had my dad uh, with an opportunity. I had a bull, I called the bull within 25 yards of him and he never made the shot because he couldn't tell if it was a legal animal or not. But I remember the look on his face when that bull standing 25 yards <laughs> ahead of him, bugling his face off in the trees. And dad, I'm looking at dad, and dad just kind of looks back, and it was over in a blink of an eye. The wind had changed on us, the elk winded us, and he was gone like a ghost. And I looked at my dad and said, how close was he? He goes, he goes like 75 feet. And he goes, I've never been that close. He says, I thought I was going to get run over. <laughs> and I'm like, and I said to dad, I said, you know how close you were to harvesting that elk? And he goes, no. I said, it's like you're at uh, the World Series game. You're down by two runs. You got two runners on base and you crank one and it's going out of the park and that outfielder catches it as it's going over the wall yeah. <laughs> and there's two out. Said you were that close to harvesting that elk. And my dad kind of looked at me and says, you're right. It was one hell of a cool experience. Yeah. Says, we yeah. never got them. We were this close, but it was so fun. That's what it's about. It, it is. It, it is. It, you know, if you so. make the success of the hunt, the harvest of the animal, you're going to have a lot of disappointed outings and a lot of people will end up giving up on that. But if you make the success, the preparation, the time in, the I don't know, I'm a the gear enjoyment junkie. of the experience. Yeah, I'm a gear junkie. I, li I like collecting the kit. Uh, and then you go out and you're hunting, you're outdoors, you're observing what's around you. You're a part of the nature, you're a part of the process. And then guess what? If you do happen to harvest something, that's the icing on the cake. That's the bonus. Yeah. yeah. A total bonus. I mean, you don't go out there every time expecting to come home with a truckload of, uh, of birds or deer or elk or whatever the story is, whatever you might be hunting, but just be out there enjoying, enjoying the, the nature and the wildlife and the lake you're sitting beside you know, it's just part of, it's all part of it. And when you harvest something, it's a bonus to the trip. Well, I think we've got a lot of material here. Any new hunter listening to this will have some great tips yeah. and tricks. And I think we've really hammered home some, some key points here. Yeah. Like, and I think like Jen's touched on, he says, don't be afraid to, you know, be a hunter, be, become a hunter. Uh, if, if you think it's something you enjoy it, mm -hmm. come and try it. Yeah. Yeah. You either love it or you hate it. Right, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. You're either all in or you're not all in, right? But uh, at the same time, it's I'm proud to be a hunter. I know all you guys are proud to be hunters, and there's lots of hunters out there and huntresses, and everyone that's in the outdoor community, whether it's fishing, hunting, trapping, hiking, camping, outdoor stuff, or whatever, we all we all share the same environment, and it's uh, it's up to up up to us to have it and keep it going and all that stuff too. So just don't be afraid to. Stick your neck out there a little bit and, and, and don't be afraid to jump in with, uh, 
feet first. You know, you're free to ask Cindy to dance. Yeah, exactly. There you hey, go. There you go. I, I never really liked her. I just like that. So, you liar. Yeah. Does, does Cindy know? Yeah, I hope not. I mean, she might be listening. I don't know. Uh, she will after she sees it on your Instagram yeah. feed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Want to wrap it up? Yeah. Sounds yeah. good.